Well, let's talk about crypto. I think Albers is really good with the crypto. Wait, let me put, put my other sunglasses. Put, <laughs> yeah, put them on. It's time. It's, yeah, this is a better one. This is a better one. Yeah. Get ready. Okay. Yes. Explain to people what is cryptocurrency, what is blockchain, um, you know, what is um, NFTs and Web3. Go off. Give, give okay. a tutorial. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so... Um... I, I want to go uh, and pick out these three, Web3, cryptocurrencies, and NFTs. I'm not going to talk about blockchain because it's just a technology. It's not a, it's a, it's a buzzword technically. So not knowing it is a little bit better. Um, basically, Web3 would be every technology that is being built on decentralized machines of processing information. Current, the cryptocurrencies are basically tools of uh, resource allocation used in this, the, in, on Web3. And each uh, different cryptocurrency is used as that tool. It's a, it's a resource allocation tool, all of it. It's a currency to do that. NFTs stands for non-fungible tokens and uh it's a fun it's a very funny word non-fungible token because what it's trying to say is that each fungible it means something that is repeated and created in the same way and non-fungible is saying that that's not it but it's funny because everything is non-fungible in a way everything is unique that is created so it's just a that is also a very funny word but it could have like in another maybe in another reality it could have just been called uh, a token <laughs> so uh and a non-fungible token basically represents ownership to a contract that can not be changed that's the best way to describe it and as of right now most of nfts that are out there are the data on it of this uh uh basically the data that is on top of this uh what was the word that I used right now, Sanjana? Um, Do you remember. use blockchain or crypto? No, the the word uh, I said NFT is basically uh... <laughs> token. token. Yeah, a token, but it's. Uh... Okay, when I make a deal with uh, like a the, the basically okay, so to not uh, get lost in my own head, NFT most data that is on the statement of an NFT is a picture or something that kind of reaffirms the the value that that token holds, and an NFT can hold many different variant variations of utility and value as simple as a picture that could we could use to identify ourselves on Twitter, which is the main usage right now. And it can go up all the way up to uh, a way to you to basically buy and sell real estate tickets. Uh, basically anything in the world can be a token, an NFT, a token, because it's, uh, it's such a, 
it's such a new and better way to own things and use them compared to, let's say, if we were to buy, let's say, a house or a horse or a car or trying to do anything in the world. We, and the only way that we can verify that we are allowed to do that is, was, let's say, when you buy a house, they give you this little, like, cute, very well-made paper that says, oh, you own this, which is such an easy thing to replicate. It's such an easy thing to replicate, but as an, if this was an NFT, this would not be an issue at all because in and of itself, it's a non it's, there's no way we can replicate it. So uh, it's just like going from walking, like as a technology, it's going from using a horse to a, <laughs> using a spaceship just comparing nfts and re uh, what we use right now to like basically verify ownership of anything yeah i'm mainly in all of crypto i'm mainly interested in nfts because right now it's a very leveraged market uh, it's uh, it's really really easy to um gather community i would say that's the main important point of it it's uh the and i told this to tommy as well it's if you if anybody out there wants to uh create let's say a community around whatever they're interested in uh, if this was 10 years ago they would create a youtube by two three four years they would gather uh, a decent enough community and then through that they would get monetized through YouTube and some they would put out let's say stuff that is of interest by themselves and then they would create places where they can communicate with uh, their community but nfts is that with the like an insane efficiency meaning if you have a valid and uh, interesting uh, idea and in terms of what you're interested in and most things are still not in the space yet. So if you have anything of in interest, if you have, if there are communities that you know of that uh, you can gather, NFTs is the place to do it because you can create a, a couple of pictures, put them on a, a NFT and create the supply that you seem it's reasonable and basically create a community around it, which all of the people in the community are verified by owning that token that was created by you. And you do this, you can gather a multitude of people, like thousands of people in a Discord, which it would be insanely difficult to do uh, if it was the old, older YouTube era or the idea of getting monetized for creating communities. Like it would be even stupid to think that you can even monetize yourself from after like in the first two years of creating a youtube channel for example like in nfts you are paid before you even start to do the do the thing because that's their ticket to the, the to the community that is being built basically so everything is monetized with no middleman with no youtube with no um small amount of let's say royalties coming off to you from a video that has to do well on YouTube. So that would be 
th this and uh, this would be the thing I would be very good on. So, so Sanjana, if my, my area of niche of the crypto world and Web3 is NFTs and that's the main thing I can talk about. The other things I think there are way better sources that can talk instead of me. So if you have any other questions about it or anything that I, I didn't express well or needs to be addressed, I would love to answer it. That was a really good explanation, first of all. Um, so yeah, no, um, I just wanna ask questions about, so you know how we have profile picture based NFTs at the moment. So yeah. the apes are quite popular. Um, there was also there, I also saw lemon um, uh, lemon community uh, lemon profile pictures. Um, do you think this trend is going to continue on? So that's the first question. The second one is um, now NFTs are also moving towards music. Um, you know, so you know what is what is your opinion on that? What is you know is it is it something that is going to be a long-term thing like it has opportunities and it's going to last um and what do you think about newer things emerging in the nft community which might not be art and music okay so the profile pictures i think uh they were they're gonna continue to stay but they're like as time goes and more way more interesting stuff comes and act as nfts uh, profile pictures are just going to be a bit boring after a while so and like or less valuable let's say that's the easiest way to say it like it would be great having a profile picture now is very valuable because not many people have it they don't, they're not here they can't identify their avatar on twitter so it's gonna stay i think but like i would i would definitely give it uh, like a, a maybe a year or two more but like after after that, like that the let's say the original standard has been uh, done, and all of the the old like the oldest people have been like already there. After that, it's just going to be a, a very regular let's say entrance for everybody else that comes in. Let's say three four years from now into the space, it's just oh okay, I can get this uh, NFT and it has let's say a very minimal value and I can use it. Or there definitely will be expensive ones as well, but I think it will be a little bit of a, a very no normalized concept. The second thing with with um, usage of music, I think music and NFTs go like bread and butter. I think they just like go fantastically well together. It's just like makes so much sense for music to be used as as an NFT because it completely this destroys the idea of using a medium for an artist and uh, having to deal with so many so much things that doesn't really need to be done let's say the label. having to put it having to work with labels having to work with uh, centralized mediums such as youtube spotify any of that creating um, you can create your content in many many ways you can um and put in the contract that you're basically writing as your music that you will always get get a certain royalty and you can choose that royalty by your own standards and let's say uh you can as, as an artist can basically like let's say sell out or uh give themselves enough monetization to create 
a whole tour or anything before they even finish their music just by gathering the interest in it and they would give out let's say the original holders or buyers of their music they would get like access to their tour they would be able to come with them they would get many many ways they would be more people are incentivized to show their already existing affection towards pop stars all all of music creators they are way more in, in all, the community around music and the artists are very more incentivized to communicate with each other if it's done through nfts because it just makes sense because if i'm if i'm a early billy eilish fan right now if i say that it doesn't hold any value it's just like oh okay sure that's cool but like being and let's say early let's say fan of an, a certain artist and you have a token of their first like let's say music and they you have gone to their tours you have like let's say proof this it creates it there's this game that as a society we already play where we give uh, we make people popular and uh, we want to act like them we want to do things that they do and we show interest and the artists themselves come out with creative ways to communicate with the community this can be done in such a beautiful like I, I just see the vision of it happening in such a better way with throughout through nfts 100 and this is i think this this would be the turning point i would say for usage of nfts because music is a very uh, is the most attractive thing and and like that connects a lot of people whether they want it or not to this space, I would say, to the Web3 space, for sure. Wow, that's that's a very apt description. I think people would have learned a lot from that. Another question would be, let's say if someone has to start um, being in this NFT community. Now, there's, of course, thousands of artists at this point. Um, how does a person who has never been who has never minted in his life before start to become an NFT? Like what are the resources? What are the marketing skills, the audience accumulation, um, you know, uh, all that stuff. How, how, how does that person navigate all through all, through all of that? So the easiest way is to go to, uh, like, first of all, everybody has to have Twitter. They have to have decentralized wallets such as MetaMask and Phantom, they need to create one and then follow people by the, like find people through like the different NFT hashtags, which like, and on Solana, I use Solana and like find out about the communities and see what's the, the current uh, talk or conversation that is happening there. I think before the a huge point of NFTs is community, as I talked said before, and I think before anybody goes about um, even ta uh, minting an NFT, buying an NFT, getting in a community, like if they just like see what's like what the communities are, how they communicate, that's a very extreme point of like uh, attract. Like it's a very attractive place to be. Like uh, compared to uh, going on a strange website, clicking on mint. <laughs> through money that you just transferred to your wallet and you don't know where it's going and then you just get a picture which could which could be a little bit let's say scary but like seeing let, let the way people talk 
throughout let's say their avatar let's say i'm i'm uh, the, the the one that i am using is a pesky penguin let's say the one that you saw on my twitter and like most of the conversation i do on twitter is i just say newt newt because that's a language that penguins like use as like the old cartoon and uh it's a very welcoming community and like there's for ev for most like uh, topics it's the same i would say getting twitter creating a, um creating a phantom wallet or a metamask wallet and then there are mar searching for market places for nfts to see art that you enjoy and most of the uh, nfts have a website they have information regarding all of the all of the processes of from like minting one to buying one off of secondary marketplace and uh, after that i think the whole co um, community is extremely welcoming to newcomers so uh, most discord uh, oh the third point create a discord uh, but, but uh, download discord and create discord because every project in nfts has a discord channel and you need to get inside and if you just ask randomly people are going to start helping like that's i would say the this using the strength of community here uh, in the nft space is uh, a leverage that has to be used 100 percent yeah so discord, and better uh, a wallet go ahead Tommy. So interesting how we are in in this specific niche and community, you're incentivized to be friendly and spread the message. You have financial incentive in spreading decentralized infrastructure. So <laughs> it came out well. Yeah. Two birds, one stone. I mean, we already so what have do you social think about... credit. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. What do you think about the gas fees? Because a lot of people get confused with that. How does so, that gas fees work when you mint the NFT and upload it for sale? So gas fee is like, uh, like um, basically the, the fee that you need to pay through your wallet to, for the transaction to happen between like your wallet and the wallet that holds the NFT. And um, Ethereum has really high, uh, very expensive, like gas fees, I would say, but like they, they, they have, they have a, like, they have a very established, let's say community and everything. So for a lot of people that are already in that place, it's, uh, not a big deal to be honest, but for newcomers to the space, like, I don't know, they're like, well, let, let's say they're spending. Uh, hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, whatever, four hundred bucks maximum, like their first time, um, to mint an NFT, and they have to give out a minting like for as gas fees, they have to spend around the same like two hundred or hundred to e like just get that, and that money is just gone, and it's not even like part of the <laughs> NFT is a scary thing. I mean, there are other places. The one I'm using is Solana, and Solana is like far, far superior. The, the gas fees are a couple of cents to mint or to buy off of secondary. And uh, it is the, the same thing for like uh, creating your own NFT collection as well. Like uh, the, price, the price of creating your own collection is also, let's say a couple of dollars, like nothing really serious.
So you mentioned Solana, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think you're a very, you're deep into Solana, you're like gang gang. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. explain to me or and the average listeners, right? Um, what Solana is and and how it competes with other cryptocurrencies and what you see um, its future uh, as. So Solana is essentially an uh, an Ethereum competitor, meaning the the uh, the, in, the new internet is being built the same way the new internet is being built on Ethereum. The new internet is also being on built on uh, Solana. But I think that since Ethereum is the, it's a, it's a humongous project, and they can't do everything the best in the best manner, so. Um, Solana has uh, better gas fees. Their their focus is, has been much much more on uh, NFTs from the start, and the space just like exudes this like you know fun, quick. Everything is like easy compared to Ethereum. Uh, that was the main attraction point for me at the, from the start, and it's been the same thing till now. It's just such an easy process to like. Uh, tra do ten transactions on Solana. The price is very low, like so low. It, it does no. I have never minded spending any uh, like transaction fees, <laughs> and like the focus has had been always the the thing of value that I'm getting with and and the transaction. So that's I think that's a huge huge uh, thing that Solana has that is beneficial to them attracting new people compared to ethereum because it's men men for newcomers it's mainly scary and i think like when you're like uh, the, the process is easier quicker and cheaper uh on solana compared to ethereum it's just uh it attracts mo more people and definitely more newcomers compared to other spaces and cryptocurrencies no that's that's very that's very good i i love how we are progressing into a very new tech-based decentralized um civilization it's it's beautiful and also has its cons so um what do you think about you know of course this minting either bitcoin or anything requires a lot of energy so a lot of concerns are there about um, energy depletion and eco ecological uh, depletion as well. So what do you think about that? Do you think there's any way we can make sustainable, renewable kind of cryptocurrencies that are not taking that much energy? And um, because you know how Elon kind of tweeted like back in the day, like, you know, it's not, it's not good for the, uh, you know, our, yeah, it's not our good nature for the environment. and everything. Exactly. So what do you think about that? Like, and is there any way we can actually make sustainable, renewable cryptocurrencies? Yes. So, okay. Now I have to introduce to, two new words, which is proof of work and proof of stake. And, uh, <laughs> don't you dare, Tommy. Don't bring, <laughs> don't bring Cardano to the conversation. Now, buy now, buy now. <laughs> <laughs> get in now uh, just hold it and wish for a better tomorrow <laughs> Sanjana it's so funny because there was 
such an enthusiasm for it. Uh, Abors is about to explain about proof of work. Uh, one of the most prominent projects was uh, was Cardano, and this promise to one of the co-founders of Ethereum separated and then created Cardano, and it's it was this huge cultural momentum from a very cheap price to uh, a, a little less cheap, like two dollars. It went up to what was the top, Abors? Three. Three, yeah, three dollars. It went up uh, from point two, point two dollars, all the way up to three dollars. Yeah, because then people like the buying technology. <laughs> uh, Sanjana, Lex had an amazing conversation with Charles Hoskinson last summer. Um, that's that's a it's a must watch. Oh yeah, but... I'll definitely watch it. Yeah, I I know that he also has a podcast with the co-founder of Ethereum, right? The Vlad guy. Vitalik. I'm, I'm probably... Yeah. Yeah. Vlad. Vitalik. Vitalik. <laughs> Vlad the vampire. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. The, yeah, just assumption. Whatever. Uh, but yeah, definitely worthy of a watch. He's an interesting character. Like I think. I mean, I roast a lot of like people in this space, but it's like all in a fun manner. I don't think they're better or worse. It's just uh, being able to criticize them. I find Hoskinson to be a very interesting character. I think more more than just more than just the 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 project that he's creating and the th the things that he wishes to do with Cardano. I think besides that, as a character, he's very interesting. He has the the same he's playing the basically the same archetype that elon musk is playing and why he is interesting <laughs> and i find that to be a little very funny and uh, there the cardano is proof of stake so now that i want to go to explain proof of stake basically ethereum and bitcoin are proof of work basically meaning for a token of uh, a bitcoin token to have value or an ethereum token to have value uh, uh, basically there needs to be a mining happen and like that's that's why they call it proof of work so each token has value based on the work that is done or the computation that has happened the energy that has been spent and ethereum is the same way but ethereum is going towards proof of stake and most all the others of cryptocurrencies are proof of stake as well and proof of stake basically means that there are a certain uh, globalized, like there's a lot of holders of this token, therefore it already has value. So there isn't need for uh, energy to, uh, there is less need for energy to be used to create it. But then, there's the th th and this is why Ethereum basically has such, like the, the whole talk conversation about NFTs on Ethereum was because Ethereum is a proof of work uh, currency. So on proof of stake, this is not an issue. The other thing that a lot of NFT projects do is that there are companies in the Web3 that uh, basically help you become a green company. And uh, uh, like a lot of very good uh, NFTs, especially on Ethereum, there is literally a website, I, I don't remember the name, but you can search only for NFTs that are fully green, that they, ha they literally have a, let's say, 
stamp from this like uh, uh, other company that basically helps them become green and uh, and you can only buy let's say as as a consumer you can only mint or you can uh, if you want to you can only buy and mint green projects basically the same way on but on like other places uh, mostly going to be green and um, it's go- it's going to be uh, not going to be an issue that the same way Elon Musk said and on Solana it's the same thing there are a lot of projects that do have that as well so it can be done as many times uh, without the this worry that you're speaking of no it's interesting i i see a lot of virtue and value in this in nft community cryptocurrency because you know how um which countries el salvador which legalized not legalized but allowed like um bitcoin you can go and buy mcdonald you, you know yeah stuff from bitcoin so i see i see a future where we're definitely going to be using cryptos um now yeah and 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 i don't think there's any political you know conflicts with it because like you know freedom at least in most democratic countries so yeah it seems it seems it seems that we're headed towards a very great future now you know metaverse you know now we have metaverse now you can go buy real estate in metaverse <laughs> like i want to yeah. buy real estate next to a little baby's house you know like yeah so what do you think about what do you both of you think about like this metaverse situation like it's 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 not new of course but it has been it's blown up nowadays so what I have are you doing this I have a room in the metaverse I've decorated it as well no way which yeah. metaverse is it out of all of the metaverses like it's not a like a main one on uh, like like decentraland or anything like that or the feta <laughs> facebook metaverse <laughs> uh i i that have video like, gave a, me cancer that video gave me cancer yeah, like, it was it, so cringy it just looking at zuckerberg like the explaining the three terms <laughs> all of my nft communities were just roasting roasting the fuck out of zuckerberg for trying to use leverage his like popularity and his like facebook to basically say oh i'm metaverse you know now everybody's going to come on here like so he's not definitely not like that much but i have a little room in a par- project called portals you basically are able to invite friends have this little mini uh characters of you sit down and like you can talk inside it just like we do here they you can show uh, show your nfts inside like put them up on the wall have some designs done i think i i i'm i'm pretty into it i think people already do these things like we get on google meet we get on zoom we are talking on zoom right now like we can if these things can be done on the metaverse so I, i i think it's inevitable it's fun it's gamified games are just extremely attractive way more attractive than life <laughs> or as attractive if we look at life itself as a game for sure to play the 
devil's advocate, but I can I can see something play out similar to dot com bubble, where if we let's say get into a larger crisis with the governments with the, the fiat currency and, and global resources in our 3D world. And we have all this money frozen in or invested in, in the metaverse instead of actually dealing with the 3D, it could be this meta bubble where the globe is trying to escape reality into the digital and neglect the physical. So I, part of me sees that happening. Or I think it's, and the bubble is a real thing. I mean, it's not, I mean, like it's real in a, it's real as much as let's say, you know, economies go up and down, but I think on a very longer term, uh, it's just like uh, new technologies and newer ways of living. And I think uh, whether we we value metaverse or disassociate full <laughs> all humanity dissociating valuable or not i think that's a speculative thing for sure but i mean uh, i was born in, i when i was born games were like the medium for me to dissociate to games have more story and more meaning for me than real life happenings way more i remember games way more than my school or anything else that happened to me like as someone who was very immersed in it and i think that this this it's a i think it's a very real thing that if everything is gamified from school to learning from working to communicating or all of these things are in a gamified manner i think this is a very attractive thing but this is very speculative for sure. I mean, there's still, like land is always gonna be land, like real 3D, like holdings is always valuable. Yes, but if, if everybody is dissociating from life, now all of uh, the, the, the eyes is what is valuable in the metaverse or what is valuable and not the real world basically. So it's a matter of what speculation fully, it's always, it always is. It's what people assign value to. And I think it's attractive enough for it to be very, very valuable for people. Sitting in metaverse in Minecraft, learning about history is much cooler than uh, walking a couple of stairs with somebody who barely wants to fucking show a couple of slides about three things that they have said thousands of times. You can walk into it. Let's say walking into the scene of something happening in history is way more attractive than just reading about it or hearing about it from someone. Um, imagine it, walking into a game where you can be part of the French Revolution. <laughs> like, like, that's just like way more attractive if it's done correctly. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, what, are, what, what, what do you guys think? I mean, I'm a very, as Tommy says, hopeful person. You know, I always see everything and like, oh, like this could happen and this is cool as shit. But like, 
so like I th- I don't think my word should be taken as the main thing. I think it needs to be very it needs to be balanced out. <laughs> yeah, you 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 are managing this ambivalence pretty well because jokingly we had conversations about yeah just moving to Puerto Rico to eat uh, papayas off the trees and just have a self-sustaining little um, uh, kibbutz or something like this yeah completely off the grid so that's that's also one alley of fetish or fetishizing the future so it yeah. has this oh yeah meta meta aspect and doing this incredibly sophisticated proxy activity to go digital to to surround yourself in a virtual world just to sit down next to a virtual other person hear them breathe into the mic and and watch digital art put together <laughs> it's still a sophisticated excuse to spend meaningful time with other people yeah the medium like the the way in which it's done is different but we're doing the same thing we would that we would do probably a thousand years ago it's kind of like a, an old house you know like a victorian house where the kids uh at the dinner party have figured out a way to like sneak into like one of the little closet things and have their little kid party there and it's yeah. they can only go there but they're there together and all yeah. the adults are having fun in the victorian house and <laughs> with the glasses perhaps yeah feels like it but so I, generally... i also like the like the building a commune what do you think sanjana <laughs> yeah by the way i'm always i have to pinch myself if i'm having a stroke looking at sanjana's glasses because it has the dual feature it almost looks like you're seeing double because of the frame oh yeah this this thing here <laughs> no but no thank you alvarez to like simplify all of these things like it was it was a really good deconstruction of all of these concepts really um i feel like in the past 2 years i just been started being conscious it's always been very uh clay for me with everything i haven't really <laughs> felt the consequences of life much <laughs> um interesting and yeah this 2 2 3 years has been uh very 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 enlightened i met tommy in uh uh what was Clubhouse. the app called i forget every time clubhouse in the, the most random no. way as well like the most you like we all world. met on clubhouse yeah we all met on clubhouse it's crazy it's it's a whole ass like manifestation weird manifestation like okay like pick number 33 469 and 9087 like and put them in our clubhouse <laughs> so they have to meet <laughs> some weird shit wait are you in a bathtub 
Yes. <laughs> That's so hilarious. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you have anything to cover your head? Dude, we all should cover our heads. He's Persian. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Iran or? Iran, yeah. So Persian would mean Dude, Iran. Dude, I've been to Iran. I've been to Iran. I've been to Kerman. No. I've been to Isfahan. There You're when kidding I was, me. Um, no, I'm not fucking kidding at all. <laughs> I'm really not fucking kidding. I, I, and it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Because um, your country is it's so clean. Yeah. It's so clean and people are so helpful and like the, the culture is so good. But like, were you like, do you feel like it was like mostly a conscious experience or like you remember stuff and shit? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I do remember. Um, what, what age was I? I think it was like either 13 or 14. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, uh, um, I've I I have seen like your last uh, podcast with Tommy, and I I think that you're a very well spoken person. That's the only impression that I like and like you know stand by. Besides that, I don't Thank know you. much about you uh, either. Uh, Tommy we'll has so good spoken about you. So we will explore it today. <laughs> Indeed. Exciting. Yeah, it's it's a. A weird, oh my uh, god, you're in a battle with the water? This is literally <laughs> historical. <laughs> first, first ever podcast recorded from a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> the level of comfort oh is my impeccable. God. <laughs> you you don't see this eclectic this setup. Wow. So, Sanjana, this is what I was talking about. Even though uh the the market of and the selection of social media platforms is created by um <laughs> uh, asperger autistic uh, narcissists it still despite all the backlash was able to connect people like us so my hope oh, yeah. is in the fact that the algorithms are still connecting like-minded people and I think we're going to fart out something that further swings the pendulum. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I, I think Albors is, uh, for me, often uh, a positive uh, reinforcement into a more optimistic future. Because we, wow. we started talking uh, with Sanjana and we basically chatted for almost two hours off the record. <laughs> Yeah, really. Random. You guys are warm the fuck up then. <laughs> yeah, and it was amazing. It was it was I think better than the podcast itself, and <laughs> and one of the things that we riffed about was hope in mm -hmm. our generation. Two uh, two things that like caught my attention and what you said was the the algorithms by which uh, people connect. And I think one of those algorithms, whether it's in the social media or like the human brain, it's like confirmation bias and it's an extremely strong one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good. And it's being done like much, much better. But I also think like a bit the opposite of that would also be a fantastic algorithm 
to go by and connect with people. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. like, I think the confirmation bias kind of, like, uh, like, it's nice in a sense, especially when the more, uh, how do you call it? What's the word for it? The more, uh, let's say, niche your way of thinking is or the more you have, like, explored a way of thought or a way of living or things um like it's nice for you to find confirmations bias for it it's super nice but but also like finding the exact opposites of those things and they do have communities and shit as well you know like so like being able to let's say uh like how much well-versed they are on their in their way of thought if that's similar like the confidence level is the same but like the main subject is absolutely different the other thing you said was hope and oof i have i have issues with that word i think hope is a very terrible thing to have <laughs> i i agree plus one yeah i i think hope is just like when i'm very like bullish or very like hopeful like per se it for me it's not me being positive or negative uh, for sure it's it's like oh it's like it doesn't matter if it's good or bad it's just like has to be done like i think there's stuff that can like are just going to get done so like them being done is like the thing it's like a i, I feel like there's like there's gonna stuff being can can happen because there's people who are going to do them no matter the well i think it's yeah I, like I, I don't think for that like it, like hope is like a level lower of like a level of strength i would say compared to that i don't know if you saw elon musk on like Friedman. he had a really fun fucking quote that i was just like yes this guy man like he's like i don't consider failure because it's not there it's i'm not positive or like i'm not hopeful or negative he's just like I, like i'm just gonna do it you know and, and that's the type of fucking mentality that I think, like... Sigma. <laughs> Embrace the Sigma. Embrace the Sigma. That's the shit. Like, just get on the grind set. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, fuck everything yeah. else. Remember the... Wait, did you see any of the memes that I sent you? There's one Sigma male Lacan. Uh... Lacan, yeah. I liked it. <laughs> Wait, are you on Twitter so I can send you memes? Yes. Uh, Aborz is very active on Twitter. Yeah. Yay, gang, gang, dude. Of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully, I'm, I'm already fully emerged there. I have a full ass community. <laughs> Wait, so you're, you're, you're this? Yeah, I'm the penguin, yeah. Oh yes, the community. He was the guy I was telling you about, the NFT veteran. Gang, gang. <laughs> Wagon you know how, do you know how uh, Tio One just always says gang, gang, brother? Who? Gang, gang, brother? Tio One, Tio One. It's oh. the most hilarious thing ever. I always, so instead of using dude, I use brother yeah. now. It's just so hilarious. Brother is like the new dude, I think. Brother is the I'm most, like, most evolved version of dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, I'm going to send you memes. Theo Vaughn. I love uh, Chappelle. 
Tim Dillon, obviously. Schultz. There's so many mm -hmm. pioneering the archetype. You actually have the dot eat or this is why I asked Tommy as well. Because I'm very I'm I'm a, I'm the I'm the what's it called? The crypto NFT police. <laughs> do you actually have the dot eat domain or did you just put dot eat? No, I do have. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I'm deep, dude. I'm deep into crypto at this point, NFTs. Solana, Saitama, fucking Safe Moon. Like, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you know getting in the in the community. Dude, this this video um, chat looks so lit. Like just the, like just aesthetically, and I don't even not even considering the conversation going on. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just pure visual art in itself. <laughs> yeah. Watch it in mute and still. Still vibe, yeah. Just like look at the head nods and shit. Just be like, yeah, yeah, they're right, you know. <laughs> I made my first uh, profit profit based purchase yesterday, Tommy. Tommy, is it one I of got... those apes? No, no, no. Like not none of these like real world shit. I bought a, the AirPods Pro. I was like, it, it was due. I've been mm. in the space for so long. I've made so much profits. So long. I need to. Yeah, no, no, no. Like if if we considered like the whole crypto, like the whole crypto journey, it would be like two years. But like oh. NFT only, it would be like five months. When did you get in? What? At what price? At what price of what did I get in? What do you mean? In in general, like uh, Bitcoin was at because I remember was... I, I I had. I bought when it was 6,000, it went up to 8,000, I sold, and now no. <laughs> no. So I, I sold everything at 8,000, and I think ETH was maximum $500. Yeah, that's sad. That's really sad. It is a part of the game. No, I don't remember. I really never liked like ETH and Bitcoin. Like I think they're very boomer fucking uh, <laughs> coins. <laughs> ETH it's a bit, it's a bit better, but like I never like felt attractive because like you know in the end like it's about the money. You know, like I I have to be like real. Like it's like if I wanted to make money, like I would have to get in something a little bit like with less market cap, and like I'm not just satisfied with like. 2x or what what 2x is like one day in nfts like just like i'm not gonna do that <laughs> do you know alex becker oh yeah oh. that's that's the guy you need to follow right now Sanjana. alex becker sanjana he's so if you look at all the mimetic tribes and and the different ways people congregate on the internet it's mm -hmm. always you know, a shared set of names that those people know. And in the crypto community, Alex Becker is, he's like an ex-Marine turned uh, software company developer turned NFT enthusiast. And now he, he posts, I would say weekly, bi-weekly um, about the market. And it's hilarious because he uh -huh. always pumps what he mentions and 
his entire yeah, I'll follow the guy. either I'll on Twitter he's ZSS Becker Z what ZSS ah Becker okay this guy oh a lot of people I know follow him nice yeah great wow so John, the Lacan Sigma male is fucking epic. I'm fucking dead. Wow. How What's the one with uh, idealism? I'm telling you right now, you're going to die. Just don't drown in your bathtub, please. But <laughs> it's too <laughs> good. It's too good. The second one. Yeah. Like, listen to all, all of it, and you're just going to be like, what the fuck? And you're just going to be laughing. Which one? The Jung or the German idealism? The German idealism one. <laughs> it has a loud, loud audio, so just like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Hegel thought that Kant didn't know shit when he was writing this book. What the fuck is that book? Oh, boys, where is the screen, bro? I'm, I'm, I'm sending Sanjana the, what's it called? Make NFTs <laughs> meme. Where is oh, the dude. utility? <laughs> oh, dude, this is so odd. Dude, the NFT community is like the most wholesome community ever, Sanjana. Like, I can't, like, I can't explain it. Like, it's the most wholesome, loving place ever for no reason, just because. Like, there's no reasoning behind why they're nice to you or anything. It's just like, they can, so they do it. Sanjana, this is what you were saying about getting into the spaces and being embraced for no reason. Like, oh, hey. <laughs> You just walk in and you're like a citizen. Guys, this is what I'm telling you. How do you create the same social embrace, the ecstasis of the collective seen in Web3 in the sense-making community? Like, let's have the weird abstract conversations in the same sentiment. Let's do it, yeah. Yeah, for that, for sure. Gang, gang. This is why we're here. <laughs> I can't take you serious when you say gang, gang. I just fall apart. <laughs> it's this generation's brofist. <laughs> that was a thing. Brofist. Uh, Peer to pie. Peer to pie. Much love, brother. <laughs> that would so that would be something I would say. Much love, brother. Yeah. I purposely put the put the ring on the middle finger today. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, usually I... put it on on here or like on here, but today was just like the third eye. The third eye. Oh wait, I have another meme to send you. 
oh my god dude this is gonna kill you again dude i i first of all adverse i am the meme queen at this point i send the dankest meme to the brothers okay. and the sisters i'm not even kidding it's it's my it's my job at this point to and like send with your produce <laughs> oh my god dude remember january 6th the fucking shit that happened and this guy with the with the horns stormed oh, yeah. the capital oh my god dude i have gold stuff from him <laughs> those people were fucking amazing They're, like i don't know how to, like they let like they let something like that just happen like nothing happened you know <laughs> oh god i'm trying to find it it's it's too good it's gonna kill you Because, like, the things he talks about, we can analyze it. Like, you know what I mean? As a shaman, I am like a multidimensional or hyperdimensional being, okay? <laughs> I am able to perceive multiple different frequencies of light beyond my five senses. And it allows me to see into these other higher dimensions that these entities, these pedophiles, these rapists, these murderers, these really high up people, that they almost, like, hide in the shadows in. Nobody can see that because the third eye ain't open. Wait, did he As really shaman, say this? I am like a multidimensional Dude, that's a strong start. That's a really strong start as a shaman. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else after that is is immediately justified. <laughs> did he did he actually say this? Yeah, he said, uh, and I'm not even kidding. So here's the here's the thing. The QAnon mo- movement had these So not all of the QAnon people were, you know, um, there were certain QAnon people who were just memeing around and they had this thing called um, the Great Awakening. And this Great Awakening is when the humanity is going towards this enlightenment era where um, we're ascending in the fifth dimension. And to ascend to the fifth dimension, the third eye has to open. And so this is what he's saying. So, you know, it's like a psychedelic, psychedelic induced, um, just, you know, rambling. And it's, of course, bullshit. But like, that's, that's what he genuinely believes in. He thinks yeah. that to combat the, the elite people who are involved in all of these dirty things, we have as, we have as a community to... to be able to ascend to the fifth dimension and then open the third eye. That's literally what he believes in. And like politically speaking, um, it's bad in the sense that the right uh, or whatever they call them, I, I hate politics, but like they're using psychedelics in order to push forward their ideologies, which should never mm-hmm. be done because psychedelics and um, A political ideologies are two different variables like two different subjects it's exactly what we're doing with um uh, science and politics right now in the covid context right so like we have we had uh in the u.s trump being oh no mask and like you know unvaccination whatever and then biden was like mask and vaccinations like it's crazy right it seems like we're going all the way back to the enlightenment era where you know there was science and religion fighting each other uh, and now it's science and politics fighting each other 
and yeah. it's like a return of the of the Weimar Nazi Germany in the sense that pushing ideologies via manipulation skills. So that goes with the psychedelic QAnon stuff. And what I've been observing is that a lot of um, alt right people are putting um, using the Nietzschean uh, ideologies to mm-hmm. push forward the their own political ideologies. So they're misusing Nietzsche. So I, I, I'll, I'll try to debrief this because this is this is very new. This is very very new. So Frederick Nietzsche, of course, um, was a philosopher, and um, he wrote a bunch of books. Of, you know, mostly the most renowned one is Beyond Good and Evil, and um, Eke Homo. Um, you know, and thus spoke Tertusra, which is, which is, you know, which is the book. Um, I have it here and I'm going to show it to the, to the folks, um, to the, to the folks out here. Um, it's, it's this, thus spoke Tertusra. I have the, the Cambridge audition and this book has four parts where Tertusra goes in it, goes, goes on to a journey. He thinks that the humanity has corrupted itself with um, all sorts of materialistic pleasures, uh, with, with religion, and they haven't heard the news that God is dead. And what he means by that, that, you know, that God is dead is that we have killed him. That, and by, so there's two places where he says that. When he says that in Thirst Book Tertusra, He's saying that, you know, there's an enlightenment period going on where all of these scientists are, you know, producing all of these amazing discoveries, which is, of course, is in conflation with religion. So, you know, most people are um, for the science, they're becoming enlightened, but the church doesn't want them to. So, you know, there's this conflict going on. And when this entire shit is going down, Jaratustra thinks that, Fuck this. Um, oh, he went on a journey to the mountains, to, to the nature. So, so Tusbog Jartustra, let's just call it TSC, the, the acronym. It's, um, it has a very ecological essence to it. Like, Zarathustra mm-hmm. goes on to the, to the mountains to also tell the people, like, look at nature. It's so beautiful. You know, why are we destroying it? So, you know, one can also look at um, Tusbog Tertustra in that angle um, that's it's very ecological based but anyhow he goes on to this journey in part one um, he meets this saint who's also you know in the in the in the uh, in the forest mm-hmm. and they have a brief conversation and the saint um, goes like oh hey like you know humanity is also corrupted we should stay here I came all the way here to to be a hermit and then Zarathustra asks him, what do you do here, you know? And he says that, oh, I'm just here to, um, you know, offer, like, worship my God. Like, give everything to my God and, and just in solitude. And at that point, Zarathustra says, I'm going to, you know, bye. Like, and then yeah. he goes away because he says in his head, I think this man hasn't heard the news that God is dead, which is enlightenment error. So that's, that's, that's the aspect that comes in part one. But the, 
but to narrow it down to what is the very beautiful essence of this book is, you know, this entire concept of Ubermensch, the Superman, the Overman. How does a person become that? And in a very simple way, um, I would say it is in the books going under and crossing over. So you have to suffer through and rise up to become this overman, to become this very enlightened person. And this wasn't necessarily which was coming out of this uh, particular book, right? Um, he wrote a bunch of other books. And um, in those books, he genuinely said that, you know, to become this, this whole person, to become like a more of a, like aligned, but like also like a Superman, like an overman, you have to suffer through, you have to go down in the sense, deal with the demons. And this is where you can draw parallels with Jung's shadow self. Um, and I think you might have actually taken, taken this. Um, and, and crossover, you know, basically, uh, you know, reflect upon it, get better, and then become this, this human, this Superman. I'm just, I'm just trying to generalize this in, in, a, in a very um, simplistic manner. It's, it's, I could do the complicated one, but um, not at the moment, I suppose. This, this is, a, I think, one of the most beautiful analogies to illustrate this transpersonal arc, which is present in all developmental um, stages or lines or aspects <clears throat> like Alborz is always sending me these uh these memes which are this exact thing Ouch. illustrated what's up the light went oh, off the lights just went off but like wait for it <laughs> no but continue so, that thing continue oh, that thing Alborz, can you can you ping a couple of those memes like uh, make stuff overcomplicate and then make stuff. Yeah, I mean, like it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can stream them or anything because it's on my phone. It's on my phone, but like the simplicity of it is like we and it's like this. Like uh, as I told, we talked about Dabrowski is also someone who talks about the positive disintegration, oh, yeah. and then there's the what's it called the camel lion. Uh, laughing baby of uh, Nietzsche and then and simplistically it's like you know at first you're just trying to you know uh, survive it and then you come out this like you overcomplicate things which is the lion phase <laughs> and it's the and or you have to fight these demons or you have to basically uh, de deny the, the god or I don't know, find utility for NFTs <laughs> or, you know, all these like uh, versions of the thing, it's, which is uh, overcomplicating it with, and by the next level, this, le this, this level kind of reveals itself as absurd. And when you understand the absurdity of overcomplicating things, you just do it with a simplistic more, more let's say simplistic manner because it's more play like and it incentivizes play very much like this um after the complicated part or the lion or 
denying um, denying God, denying societal norms, denying all of these. I would put them all in the same pattern. And then after that, you're just like, okay, I'm just a little child in a sandbox, and everything I do is play, and and that's like that's like the peak enlightened technically <laughs> which is basically what you do when you're a child you just like get up and you just do shit and like you know nobody looks at that as like significant or fascinating but that is the most fascinating thing ever because there's no like like the child when the child is like making some shit with like uh, uh whatever like with some like paint or whatever they don't like think about like would people like this or how do I structure it in a manner that is accepted in this niche you know they don't do this kind of thinking it's just like you know like it's fun like I like I just put this shit together and like I create it and it's beautiful and I enjoy it and it's funny. Sanjana check the memes because I sent what Aborz was talking about. Twitter is all I use at this point fuck Instagram. I know yeah Oh, so everything, so elite. Everything uh, Zap touches turns into dust. Sadly. Hyperdimensional beast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is what Alvarez was mentioning. Yeah. Make stuff, plan, strategize. <laughs> conduct market <laughs> research <laughs> perform risk assessment yeah <laughs> the beta male screech <laughs> dude the and memes so, are killing me Sanjana check this out because this is the beauty of meme culture this shape <laughs> connects perfectly to Susan Cogroyder's ego development theory and so my take developmental take on uh, Nietzsche and uh, uh, Zarathustra modernism in essence was a reply to the dogma of faith and belief taken for granted and when you introduce reason and proof into the equation the structure of thinking ascends and starts literally finding truth to be separate, to, to analyze, tangibilize, and dissect the world. And this arch is the degree of felt connectedness with the environment and the world mm -hmm. lived in. And modernity and postmodernity is the peak of the perceived disconnectedness just by the sheer structure of proof and reason. You know, when it comes to sources of knowledge, right? Um, like in terms of increasing independence and in knowledge, what comes to my mind is um, there's two sources of knowledge. There's rationalism and then there's um, empiricism. So mm. rationalism is basically based upon reason and empiricism is based upon ex experience. And this is, of course, Kant's um, Kantian, very Kantian. So rationalism came around 17th century 
while empiricism came around 18th century. So mm. rationalism is um, rationalism caused um, emancipation um, from medieval theology that was present at that time. And it considers that all knowledge is reason and reason forms um, and mediates whatever our senses receive. And so when we go to, um, when we go to empiricism, it's 18th century. Um, it's of course in opposition with uh, traditional rationalism. And what it does is that it traces all knowledge um, back to experience. So experience um, as our, is, has become our principal source of knowledge. So when we get rationalism and empiricism together, right? Reason combined with sensory experience um, in terms of source of knowledge, you know, gives us reason as a form and sensory experience as content. Yeah. So reason, rationalism mm -hmm. is a form and empiricism is sensory experience as a content. That's like the deconstruction of what sources of knowledge is in terms of just rationalism versus empiricism. It's funky when like get into an argument and the empiricists and rationalists start picking on each other. Oh, evaluating the, the validity of the other. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was I was going to do that exactly. <laughs> so I was, uh, I think uh, that uh, what, what you said, I had, I, 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 that was a beautiful, like fantastic phrasing. I never had like structured it that way, but I feel like in many ways, uh, we're at a point that, uh, like this, like this, like uh, the reason that is, let's say in terms, let's say external, and it's not experienced, and some sometimes feels unverified. I feel like when the person is talking about it, like I I see that when they when they attach the basically the experience or their uh, their sensory experience to the like the reason i feel like at that point the to a certain extent it it verifies the the knowledge or that that, that they're speaking because like or anybody speaks of because in many times like knowledge is spoken of or reason is like being made but it's not truth and and, and i'm not saying truth by the as in correct uh, as in like something correct or wrong but as in something that needs to uh, in order to be manifested as reason there needs to be like uh, feeling attached to it in some way uh, in some manner like a certain exper experience needs to like be felt and not just like an outside uh, hosting of the thought it's like within, like it's different when like the same, the same reason is said or is expressed as an outside, uh, let's say source compared to as if it's um, expressed as an inside source, basically. 
and I think that is not it's that's not really something easily recognized I would say in many many conversations and many debates because both the uh, the extremes of this which is the person who is fully experience based or the person who is fully um, let's reason. say uh, reason based they they're like they can just like you know easily say what they mean but like we can't really uh, like uh, in a regular conversation in, in the masses like both of them would go as in correct or truth for many in many in, in, in many ways as in oh this they mean what they say but a lot of times that couldn't be that could be very far from the like the truth basically that's the uh, uh, criticism that i i want to bring into this i think the like the combination of them uh, brings this validity of reason bro you really took your time with that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah I want to ask you, what's the, what's your personal approach in a daily archetypical scenario, trying to communicate the equanimity of these two? So when you're communicating. Yeah. So how do I imply both of these? Yeah, I think I think I would go. I think I would go with um, the the seventeenth century rationalism, and um, being you know what we accumulate, it has to have some reason, and this is of course academically speaking, right? It's not it's not something that I guess um, anyone walking on the street would be like, you know uh, saying, but. And it is a very content, but good you're chopping up again. Rational based upon yeah. Am I back? Yeah. All right. So let's say I'm having a conversation with person X, right? And um, we're engaging in a Socratic dialogue. So um, I would be presenting my arguments based upon reason so that the argument itself is sound, but also the argument cannot be dismissed because it has reason. It has a reason, you know? So, so that's why all knowledge is reason. This is what Descartes and Spinoza were also talking about. Um, and of course, heavily influenced by Kant, right? So, um, yeah, I think I think I would go with I think I would go with pure rationalism when it comes to communicating with any person. Because like if if I if I'm not giving them a reasonable argument, if this communication is based upon let's say dialogue, right? Then then my then what is the point of having a dialogue? You know, it's it's just uh, two people just chatting up. But if it's a if it's a concise um, talk right then it has to be socratic it has to have reason it has to have common sense and first principle thinking you know all of these things have to be present do you guys know the atlas shrug the what i, I by no. Ayn Rand. she oh yeah 
the, she's, I know uh, the philosopher, but I don't know what you, the text you're talking about. Same. <laughs> it's her. It's her most famous writing. In fact, I think it's the third most printed book in the U.S. It's uh, it went crazy in the 20th century because her, her philosophy is objectivism, and uh, she has a very interesting life story. But she she incorporated this philosophy in her two biggest books, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, and I would say in the mid 20th century when capitalism and America was booming, uh, she, she basically validated the, the embrace of the individual and the naked appreciation of reason as the core virtue of men. And yeah. there is this thing, I think in the Atlas Shrug, it, it becomes this axiom, who is John Galt? It's there asking, like, who is this guy? And theoretically, he is the one who said he would uh, stop the world spinning and did. And so his virtue is the ability to reach something with and, and also providing reason in fulfilling it. It's a very, very- So you follow the objectivistic um, philosophy? I've integrated it. Interesting. Wait, right, so yeah. I, have another, I have another thing, right? So I think, I think most people can relate with this. Let's suppose all three of us are writers, right? Um, and also to a certain extent, <laughs> We, we exchange ideas, you know, we articulate our thoughts. So I personally find that the best way to process your thought and, and put it on paper is to be isolated, is to have an unsocratic environment. So, so that, you know, you're, you're away from people and you can just get down and write. But then as soon as you're done with writing, you go into a Socratic environment and you articulate your thoughts so that whatever you have written is synthesized. So that's, that's what I personally believe. Like, what do you guys think about, like, if you were to write down and articulate your thoughts, or, like, what's your mechanism? My fellow ENFP, do you retreat <laughs> at all? <laughs> I, so, like, I think I've always, like, I'm always that the thing that I'm doing all the time, like, in my head, like, let's, let's, call, let's call it the isolation that you're speaking of, is thoughts that I have are always being structured, and then I play them out like a comedian, basically, in different groups, and then, and then, like, like, throughout time, like, most uh, thoughts or like sentences or stories or words are you know matured and like processed to this thing that can uh, basically uh, resonate the best like by a, my like belief a, like a rapper coming up with uh, certain rhymes and bars right yes because I, I also believe that confirmation getting confirmation is a vital part of uh, any like uh, or uh, like argument and I would say 
doing it in a very decent like i think i usually believe in decentralization in this manner because <laughs> that i don't like it to be this centralized oh i need to go to this source check if it's correct and only this source agrees with it and then like use it i think that's a very like long and like ridiculous like way of processing or putting out thought and like that was my that has that used to be my huge biggest issue with typical um reason-based like conversation it's like oh like if i want to articulate a, a thought i have to like uh, do it in a very centralized manner where okay there's this book i need to bring the sources i need to use the same terminology i need to know all of these things and like articulate them rather than just like do it multiple times like so many times that it just immediately become it's this mature thing that i didn't need to use necessarily the centralized medium the language which is either the language or the the book or the typical thing to articulate the same thought so mm -hmm. i i would i would say it's 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 as basically what sanjana said but uh, i was just describing the uh, the way in which i go about it and definitely not centralized extremely i'm very against that i remember in one of the first classes uh, during my psychology course uh, uh it was so interesting that they basically went through the history of how our technological developments and advancements were always cues for the dynamics of the abstractions they imagined are are had to be filled up with so when we had the steam machine they they the psychologists of the time actually had like steam machine graphs of the thoughts and then when we got into um uh, cogs and and wheels uh the mind we we developed the expression oh you're losing a wheel or you're missing a wheel and then computation and the mind is a hologram and uh psychology as uh, computing and now it's so interesting that as this develop of our inner world is developing and as our technologies are developing it's it mimics each other to this day and the way we oh, yeah. validate truth not just on a financial crypto level but also as a collective like sense making is truly validated by multiple of gravity it's beautiful yeah wow what i also thought was that um if if uh, a person is truly like like present with the way that things are going so they know the <laughs> uh, the language that is being used now the collective or basically they like talking in any other medium or having to explain other than any other medium before expressing like the full thought is uh basically assuming <laughs> that they don't speak 
they don't understand the the current one you know so the expectation creates this lag of understanding just like or which we've had meant for many years and like basically like we have to and many for for many people who are into let's say the this esoteric philosopher like uh community we have we we think that we have to go and talk with their boomer like com- like language so they can understand when it's the 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 current thing is the thing that it's like it's the live thing like it has already evolved to this why are we trying to like <laughs> nitpick <Regress>. things <laughs> why are we trying to regress in order to like to, like and continue the conversation with people who haven't done the the work which is being up to date with the 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 collective medium basically part of me feels an obligation to because we are the among being the generation that is pioneering decentralism We are the only group of people, in my opinion, who have capacity to do it together because it's harder for older structures of thinking to to make themselves accelerate or understand profoundly new structures of thinking. But for us, it's easier because we are are coming from that. So I think we are obligated to at least mediate the the shift and we cannot blame them for not catching up if you didn't try to bridge our structures of thinking but we have to recognize that it's a temporary thing for a certain objective which is them being able to understand the current conversation but not the the main like conversation basically it's like bridging fiat into <laughs> bridging you like it's it's like realizing that we need centralized exchanges i always i i was talking with uh, talking about this with nikos yesterday and my friend who is also in like uh, oh, wait nikos uh, wait nikos from clubhouse i i i doubt i doubt i, oh, I okay, doubt okay. that that's him uh and he we were saying that always using the example of let's say crypto and like all of their this language is such an easy way it's like using trying to mediate the like mediate let's say older generation is like using a centralized exchange in order to convert fiat into crypto so then you can play in ethereum or solana or whatever else there is it's like it's a centralized exchange the only use of it is that not the main point of decentralization and the main medium which is the actual things that are being built on let's say ethereum which i'm going to connect that into the main conversation in this that we have or whatever else it's uh, it but looking at it or uh, defining it as anything else would be regressive as well i would say not blaming blaming would be i i agree with you tommy would be a, not not the th- same thing but also recognizing that it's regressive i think is a huge point sometimes we talked about uh, the kids of gen z how how would you how would you tell them and i i know this question is stretch how would you 
in the most optimistic scenario, tell them about our relationship to prior structures. <laughs> to, to, to what? Uh, how, how would you, in the best case scenario, tell them of our story of synthesizing and, and bringing with structures of older generations, both psychological, so technological, media, everything. Basically synthesizing his historical philosophy and psychology? Yeah, because we are the we are the middlemen of past structures and emerging. Because you mentioned Neuralink, how our kids will have it way different. Yeah. yeah. So here's what I think: in order to get the Gen Z serious about um, trying to understand the past, so we can better understand the future. So there's this concept. It's not a concept, it's just a way of, um, you know, defining time. It's triplicity of time, right? Past, present, future. So mm -hmm. when it comes to Gen Z, we need to make, I mean, they already go to schools, they have history classes, but they don't take it seriously because, you know, that doesn't appeal to them that much. Like this generation is more um, attractive to technology, you know, and, and, I think the best way to make these Gen Z people aware about philosophy and psychology and history is by actually letting them immerse in the technology. So, because we have artificial intelligence ethics, right? Like we had people like Marvin Minsky, Hans Moravec, Ray Kurzweil, you know, so many, so many people, Nick Bostrom, right? Um, and these people tried to take technology models, but they were also, you know, giving it a philosophical touch. So by, by reading all of these texts, right, um, and by understanding this AI stuff, which is completely attractive, like you go on Twitter and um, you're just scrolling through and you see this robot just like functioning. And for a second, you click on it and you're like, ah, oh, this is interesting. So... So by that, we can maybe influence um, this generation to go into not only technological stuff like automation, human robot interaction and, you know, um, image detection and all of that stuff. But also when they, when they try to explore this, they would come across inevitably with the way these things are coming about and why and why not we should have them. And this why and why not we should have them is what they would is what would let them go back in history in order to read the philosophy and ethics and then apply it here. So it's it's a process. It's a, you know it's it also depends on intentionality in the sense that if this if this person X who's from Generation Z just scrolls up um, this robot and he's just watching like wow this is interesting you know and then he goes on to Boston Dynamics website. And he's looking at all of these surveillance dogs and whatnot. And then again, he gets a thought like, wait a second. If we have surveillance dogs, we could potentially have AI-based um, weapons, you know, and that could be dangerous. So, you know, this thinking process continues on and on. And, and that induces them to go back in history in order to try to understand ethics. I mean, this is, this is what I think could happen.
what you're talking about is a very humanistic approach to creating algorithms. Because what you just mentioned very well could be baked into one of these social media algorithms. And instead of radicalizing younger audiences, what if the algorithm is actually catering the psychological growth and not the exploitation of the reptilian brain for ad revenue and engagement? Well, this is what Daniel Schmachtenberg and Tristan Hayes talk about um, quite yeah. excessively and quite it's, it's quite apt um, as to yeah, how yeah. these algorithms are. So technology is advancing. There's, of course, with everything, there's pros and cons. But when, when technology is like what we see right now, like when it comes to technology, there's a lot of worries, of course, because there's a, there's a, it's human nature to be attracted to the, to the pros more than the cons. You know, we don't want to be dealing with something that, that requires effort. That's just, just you know, like a, a part of human nature. Um, and so when this happens, what we can best do is we, we, we see what Tristan and, and uh, Schmachtenberg were talking about. We see that these algorithms are not only designed to entertain us in a certain way, but, that's, but that entertainment in itself has this data, almost like a blockchain, right? A blockchain containing data that they need. So a really good example would be two days ago, um, Weekend was coming out with the album. So he said, you can pre-save it, you know? And I went on Spotify. I, I, I said, you know, I'll, pre, I'll pre-save it. Then this universal music thing pops up. You need to allow the data, you know, they're, they're going to take all of your data. And if you agree to this, you can pre-save. So this tells you that if anything, the big technology companies are taking your data because data has always been, information has always been the most crucial currency in, in the 21st century. Data is, data is money. And this boy will agree to that. Yeah. He, he's just uh, exuding the pregnant void and the noble silence as an agreeing yes. I would I don't think information I don't think information is the highest form of currency. I think the pro- process of information is the highest currency information used to be the highest currency because uh, 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 like there was so little of it and now it's we have a saturated in an market of information so i don't think information is very valuable now because there's just so much clutter of information so high quality information is valuable now right and the only way that we can have high quality information is for them to be processed or for them to be mapped out uh, for them to be. Yeah, so like, so now basically the information most of the time is just like, and that's why most people like are so 
let's say most let's say classes or universities or a lot of things are boring because there's just like a clutter of information yeah and there there and that's why the main there's no point like the the, the whole um, um, deflation of interest towards the mainstream education is because none of it is processed none of the information were given like the like likely chance of information being actually used or processed is so low okay but and check only this out so here's the thing right uh, i understand mm-hmm. what you're saying but i mean everyone notices that um we when we sign to the terms and conditions of any app you know personalized ads what is that you know there's definitely they're definitely using that information in order to mm-hmm. give us those kind of ads so you know it, it's capitalism more um, sure. and and stuff like that so what do you think about that and also what do you mean by the the process of information where the process is the most valuable thing as opposed to information okay so i the reason in that information is let's say the information let's say that we sign off to let's say facebook or any other medium or centralized medium is valuable to them because they are able to process it targeting so ads. yes so is money the, the, so basically the, the 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 attractive thing here is not the information or the ad it's the fact that google can process it so google is very valuable because they can process it google is way more valuable than most information in the world because they can process it by by huge loads of information in a manner that no like singular or even at the, like most like let's say even grouped let's say um groups or most uh mo- it just cannot be done so processing that's what i mean by processing it's algorithms and machines that or computers that can process information in a very effective and efficient way those are very valuable or that is the main currency the information is just something that is going to always be there it's like water like unclean water on earth unclean water does not have any information like does not have any value like there's all the seas in the world they don't have value that's how i would view information because that's uh, the on- only the machines have uh the machines have it and whoever can create code and create machines is v- the most valuable player the person or the Uh, industries or the what groups that can create code that can do uh, that can process any amount of information the most efficient and effective way that is the most valuable thing but it's a so very you're saying meta- that information is clouded basically like in a metaphorical sense it's what clouded it's like foggy like information yeah, is, is always there yeah okay yeah sorry tommy because everybody um, wants to play the game and everybody puts information out anyway so it's not like uh ooh like if 2000 million people 300 million people are like ooh i value my information therefore i'm not putting it out there this is like 19th century like converse like talk like then they nobody put out information about them because they valued it 
and there wasn't a, any point of processing like any like this view with this like magnificence of like Google that can process it, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, then yeah. yeah, so then when somebody knows, let's say, 200 people and they they know what's happening in let's say a certain let's say uh, economy or society then information is extremely valuable but now everybody's putting information out it's and it's always everybody is able to access it you can access all of my information since i, I the moment i created an email it's there. You're not going to check it before you have a first, like your conversation with me because it's unvalued. Like there's no value to it. I have another <laughs> question. So okay. what about apps which have end-to-end, -end, um, what do you call it, encryption? So like uh, the app called Wicker, Telegram, you know, there's so many more apps coming out. Mm -hmm. Or what about the information there? Because it's... Okay, so so even there it's like that's the peak form of um, machines that can do processes being most valuable because it's decentralized it's not centralized anymore it's not someone saying oh i have all the power because i have all the information and i only i make money off of you so decentralization what happens to that in like a decentralized manner is that our information isn't owned by anyone. It's owned by us. It's just processed through a, a party which doesn't affect us at all, which is, let's say, uh, what you said, like Telegram. Like, we don't really care because, like, it's not valuable to them either. They just process it. Actually, the difference between Telegram and Signal is that Signal is an organization and Telegram is a company. So technically, Telegram out of these two is a little more likely to be invested in using your encrypted information. I don't know if that's possible, but they're a company. I mean, sure, absolutely. But I mean, still it's I, like, I, like I didn't know them like specifically, but like just that as like an example, any, let's say my, uh, any, let, let, let's even go further, like on, uh, on let's say on the, uh, like if I'm if I have a contract on which I am signing my let's say wallet data to a website, that cont and it has information about the things that I own in my wallet, on a decentralized manner. The 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 information on my wallet is not important. The decentralized place is not a, a not an organization. It's nothing. It's just a piece of code. It's, it's extremely efficient, it's, it's extremely effective, and it does its job. And the information that I'm giving to it is only, it only matters when there is a, there is a need for process being ha happening, which is me, if I want to purchase something, if I want to sign something, if I want to do whatever with my wallet, let's say. This is like, I'm not, like, I'm like, because Telegram would technically be a, not the perfect example for this i went further to use let's say a wallet a decentralized wallet but tell me like what is the what is the distinction between company and organization in this context what's the question so like you were talking about how um telegram and signal right 
So you were saying that one is an organization, the other is a um, company. So what is the what is the distinction between? Okay. Nonprofit and for profit. It's so funny because right. it's leading up to what I wanted to show. I I want to share my screen because my favorite aspects of of what I do, developmental psychology, is specifically the technological aspect of it and how the different forms and expressions of communicating information and thoughts led to both the organizational changes and how that affects society. And so what happened with the decentralism is a catalyst to I don't, be, I don't want to be this uh, future teller but, uh, and, and uh, wave the new age flag. But if you look at how society is now upset with uh, issues and an and element of stuckness of previous uh, structures of processing information, what Alborz was talking about, um, and, and go beyond even a, a broader, you could say, um, science brought a young, a, a broader care than religion. So it broadened the sphere which processes information and it was, it could bloom because of the technology, technology of printing. Just the same way as religion could really bloom with writing itself and the <laughs> I love this paper and when we're talking about empiricism which could be in the early days attributed to uh, esotericism leaking in from from east or psychedelics and the hippies could only really go full scale with the internet because it's a technological infrastructure that validates subjectivity and now so experience right yes and if you look at wikipedia it's still kind of belonging here because of a truly globalized um narrative with something would be something like a combination of twitter your your Snapchat stories, uh, your texts, and and everything end to end between people. So it's how do you condense the reality from all these perspectives mm -hmm. compared to religion, which was you know five percent of society condensing and processing information in the axial age. People couldn't write or read. It's completely one way. Interesting. Sanjana, do you want to read something? Oh, oh you want me to read this? Yeah, Alborz has already. So from the very start? Yeah. Okay. There is nothing new under the sun. Around 
100,000 BC, we even started speaking to tell each other how much so. From grunts, speech, stories, writings, beliefs, printing, reason, to now the internet and social media. We are reaching for ever more specific ways to articulate, dimensionalize, validate the overlaps of our known world. Hence, preventing the repetition of unwanted outcomes, optimizing for making existence a chill, meaningful experience. So this particular peculiar capacity to pass down knowledge and the hot potato of life is what makes us a civilization. From era to era, generation to generation, we organically refresh our expressions, tools, methods of communication, just so we can sharpen the image of our humanity. Just like the camera resolution in your pocket went from 2 MP to 12 MP, capturing six times more of reality, the fact that 95% is literate, 60% are online, let's let us make a more detailed, complex sense of the world than holy scriptures from illiterate offline times. The image of humans by humans as it gains clarity, taboos, formalities fade away, bridging the felt distance we have from one another, bestie. And as much as it's tri trivial, we are still surprised each time to find out that we are the same. Growing up in a, in a vastly different environment, today's older generations lack even the capacity to imagine the experience of information overload. We effortlessly try out our happy hormones before they even are picked up uh, in the morning newspaper. If sanity was our muscle to cope with what we know, Generation Z is the heavyweight champion of the sport. Pre-Generation Z merely adopted the web. We were born in it, molded by it, ignorance, being a luxury we cannot afford. Rather, we speak or seek <laughs> ground in collective wisdom, the pluralism of other interpretations. Appreciating even the weirdest angle of seeing reality, because we know that the whole picture needs even pixel stacking, combining, and integrating interpretations to get an even clearer interpretation of the world and its interpreter. Truth beyond bias, dogma, but not through neglecting and rejecting it, instead transcending and including every single perspective, regardless if it's less inclusive. Today, our society is a little stuck with this ever-blooming intimate image of our shared sense of reality. Some people exclude qualities of this image, color, race, belief, while others say they accept others, but don't accept the ones who don't accept others. And the, and the technological crescendo of how we get to know this image is through 140 characters, vlogs, YouTube lectures, TikToks, memes, and that's so me comments. Um, mortals in, indulging, leasing the artificial garden of the Eden from Souk. 
an an essay with which for legal reasons i never said um whether we like it or not these faulty features of asynchronous communication environment still pioneered our sense of shared humanity even despite the downside life online is just simply relatable less alien irony of how cows became good friends at the slaughter since early web 2 we have been spreading our online trail on multiple privately owned disconnected platforms inevitably repeating ourselves what other people have said interpreting the world in its every detail without it being interconnected to all the things we connect them to in our heads nor the way others interpret the same things because truthfully the things we talk about are ba- are barely expanded we only add color and subjectively use them read any three personal development spirituality books to arrive at a finite amount of lessons preferences and stories the infrastructure for the interconnectedness of interpretation um wait did i actually okay no. the emperor is ah sorry the emperor wait. is quite as naked yet we are still beating around the bush without an infrastructure for the interconnectedness of interpretations math guy john allen polis said that the internet is the largest library but all the books are on the floor there is finity lurking in the seemingly boundless haystack wikipedia is still encyclopedia with hypertext it's still archaic of compared to what the nature of pluralistic wisdom entails at last the decentralized era of web3 technologies social sense making is all the cusp of getting into a hot steamy tango respectfully the first time in history when interpreting reality is a collective effort every map meta map of reality from east to west is available the first time in history when the masculine urge to verify on the blockchain the feminine urge to tailor a caring user interface for our understanding of our understanding enables our shared patterns to shine through a dance to fix a broken marriage that is today's society it's sanity this is who we are this is what crypto mystics stand for warmest welcome tommy oh that was beautiful thank you so this is what you guys stand for mm-hmm. we've gone more than one hour at this point so i think this is a point where we wrap up the podcast we will yeah. continue our conversation again but yeah um so yeah thank you alvarez and tommy to come on to make it our podcast we Anytime. shall do a part two yeah so yeah definitely uh, take care yeah see you guys later happy new year tommy stop the recording yeah happy new year happy, happy new year, year listeners happy new year
people. 2022, stay safe. Gang, gang.